good morning. Welcome to Grace Point uh, Church. And I have been pumped since Friday night writing this sermon. Uh, and I was like, man, I just wanted to be Sunday. Like, why can't tomorrow morning be Sunday? Like, it's just something was overwhelming about preparing this message. Um, and I felt that just that moment of the Holy Spirit's about to move. You know, two days early, the Holy Spirit's going to move Sunday, Charlie. It's going to move through your message. And that makes me a little more nervous than usual because I'm like, man, God's really trusting me on this one. God's going to push me to a limit here uh, this morning. But man, it's been since then. And, we've, and it's something about the book of James for me uh, that really gets me there. Hence our title of the series, Shocking Truth. It's going to be shocking. It's going to hurt a little bit. And I'm not talking like this little of a shock of like you just touched the outlet. No, I'm talking like you touched this power line and it threw you about 20 feet. That's the type of truth that James is speaking throughout his book. And last week we kicked it off uh, with week one, uh, talking about James chapter one. Uh, Pastor Chris led us in that, that we should consider pure joy when we face trials. I said, well, there's your first shocking truth of it. And the takeaway in this message was God isn't gonna waste the hurt in your life. He's not gonna waste the trial in your life because he wants you to grow in your faith. God ultimately wants us to grow and become closer to him and to live out our faith, which is what leads into this week. As we want to talk about how can we live out that faith that we've been building up through our trials? How can we live that out? How can we see naked people? How can we see them? That's kind of another shocking truth of we're going to talk about naked. What? Hold on. That's not what I came to church to hear to talk about some naked people? No. Well, it's going to make sense later when we start seeing people that are in this dire need and we're called to help them. We should see them for who they are. See beyond their appearance and what's in their heart. So I want to pray before we jump in once again for a message. Just pray for, scripture. Pray for um, our hearts to be open this morning. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for James, God, and what he speaks to, to me, and God, hopefully it speaks to those in this room and those that are watching online. God, that it affects us, that it breaks our heart so that it changes us to the point where we can't help but see naked people. Can't see people for who they are. God, that's what our hearts need to be as we leave this, this room today. God, as we, we open up word, your word, God, we want to be able to see what you have for us. God, in this moment, as we get rid of distractions, as we get rid of the things that are going on around us and focus on your word this morning, God, speak to those that are watching in this room and watching online this morning. Your name, amen. So basically, there's three ideas that we're going to look at this morning. And honestly, really, they're all the same idea. They all coincide with each other. So if you miss anything else from this point on of what I say, and I hope you don't, but faith without works is dead. Dead. Faith without works is dead. Basically what that means is it doesn't save. It doesn't save people. It doesn't save us. It doesn't justify us before God. It's simply not alive. It's not active. It's non-existence. In James, uh, the book of James, faith appears 16 times. 16 times he talks about faith. In this passage that we look at today, five simple verses, it's mentioned 11 times. 
11 of the 16 times are mentioned along right here in the passage that we're looking at. And, and he goes into this, this illustration that we'll look at of a person who claims to have faith, but actually doesn't. The person that he mentions has this so-called faith, but it's dead and worthless. Now, James isn't just talking about someone who is mature in their faith or immature in their faith. He's telling us that either we have faith that saves or we don't have faith at all. There's no in-between. There's no line of the fence here. And by the end of this message, you're going to be able to walk away from this room or walk away from the computer screen or the, your phone and be able to say, I have a faith that saves. Or you're going to say, I'm on the fence and there's not really an in-between so I must not have faith that saves. That's ultimately what we're going to look at. So we're going to be in James chapter 2, verse 14 uh, this morning. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Man, that is, that's powerful, and it leads us to our first key point. Faith in our hearts is evident by the fruit of our lives. Look back at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? James is telling us that it's easy for people to tell people that people have faith. It's, it should be so easy for us to look at someone and say, you have faith. It's also easy enough for us to look at someone and go, you don't have faith. You don't. We can claim it all day long. I can claim to people all day long, hey, I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. And it, it may not. We can have people that can say constantly, I have faith, and it doesn't show. James is proposing this question that he already knows the answer to. But he's wanting believers or so-called believers to answer it on his own. He's kind of like proposing a question and you got to figure out the answer on your own. He already knows it. It's like the teacher. Hey, I already know the answer. Let's just see if you can figure it out. James then gives them the scenario that we're going to look at and is telling them, you can tell if someone is saved by the fruit in their lives. And I know you're going to say, well, only God can judge me. Only God truly knows my heart. While that's partially true, I can look at you and say, yeah, you're probably not saved because you just killed 10 people. I can say those things, right? You can justify certain things. I can tell if you have faith or not by the way you live. Another way we can ask this question to somebody, or you can ask it to yourself, can you be a follower of Jesus and be the same person you were before you followed him? Can you? If your life isn't any different from the moment that you accept Christ to now, then are you really saved? Do you really have faith? James says no. Scripture says no. 
there has to be change. Because if we look at it, we look at when we, we, become a, we begin following Christ, the Holy Spirit, what, comes upon us. So if you look at the gospel message, you look at creation, you look at where we were created in the image of God, but sin messed it up, we have the fall, and then all of a sudden there's redemption. Christ came to save us. And then there's this restoration period. But if there's no faith, then there is no fruit. Isn't this the same thing that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? He says this in Matthew chapter 7, if we look at it. Matthew chapter 7, he says, You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes, grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Sarah's dad is really good at this. Sarah's dad is really good that we were, we were in, a, in a Gatlinburg a couple um, Christmases ago, not last Christmas, but the Christmas before. And we're sitting out on the porch, me and her dad. And he looks at me and he goes, do you know what kind of tree that is? I'm like, uh, all right, her dad's not going to like me anymore after this one. Nope, not a clue. No idea what tree that is. He goes, what about that tree? Nope. And then all of a sudden he's like, that's an oak tree. That's a pine tree. I'm like, I didn't even know you could tell the difference from this far of a distance on what tree it was. That's where I stood in that moment. I felt like really bad and embarrassed. I'm like, he's going to go to Sarah and be like, why did you marry this fool who can't even figure out what tree is which? Luckily, he didn't. He still likes me from what I hear. Um, but, but shouldn't someone's faith be so evident that let's take another tree, for example, an apple tree. I could walk down the street all day long and go, that's an apple tree because there's apples on it. Right? I could figure that one out all day long. Don't you want to be like an apple tree where people can tell that you're an apple tree? They can tell that you're an apple tree. What is on the outside is evidence of what is on the inside. And we're really going to touch on that next week when we look at the heart. For right now, James is saying that the fruit in our lives is evidence of faith in our hearts. And if there is no fruit on the outside, there's no faith in your heart. It's that simple. You will know faith by its fruit.